HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Escape Maker's first-of-its-kind virtual agritourism conference. For more information, go to escapemaker.biz. That's escapemaker.biz. Meet and 3 is back! We're kicking off our fourth season and celebrating HRN's 10th anniversary with a very special episode about our home, Brooklyn. Roberta's was such an interesting place with such a strong gravitational pull and attracted all these different groups. The neighborhood has changed a lot over the past decade from its culinary renaissance to the complicated implications of gentrification. I would say the majority of the people who are members of our co-op definitely have a certain purchasing power, are mostly white, and we are trying to change that. We're taking you on a journey that spans the birthplace of food radio to buzzy neighborhood pollinators to the transformative health journey of our borough president. That was my moment of, you know, wow, someone has thrown me a life raft and I'm going to take it. Subscribe to Meet in 3, that's M-E-A-T plus sign T-H-R-E-E, available wherever you listen to podcasts. This is What Doesn't Kill You, Food Industry Insights. I'm your host, Katie Kiefer, and today we're talking about school food, people. Uh, I have with me uh, right here in my very own living room, um, Margaret Reed, a food policy consultant who works with nonprofits and school districts on a variety of food system topics, such as school meals, farm-to-school programs, and food insecurity. Uh, and in addition to consulting, Margaret is the policy chair, committee chair of the Rhode Island Food Policy Council. She sits on the advisory council for Farm to Institution New England and uh, on the policy committee for Slow Food USA. She has an MA in clinical psychology from Northern Arizona University and a BS in health and exercise science from Centenary College of Louisiana. Thank you for joining me today. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. What's the health and exercise? How did you get to be a food policy consultant with a health and exercise degree? Um, that's a really good uh, question. I um, just kind of morphed along the way, I guess you could say. I, food became an interest of mine later in life. Uh-huh. Well, you look very young, so it couldn't, okay. have, been too late. <laughs> couldn't have been too late in your life. I mean, I mean I'm mean, i not going to make a guess here, but I, I know you're less than half of my age. Let's put it that way. Um, so the news was full, and this was the national news. This was yeah. on ABC, CBS, 
NBC and lots and lots of other channels, uh, both on television, on radio, and on uh, in print medium. And and the story was the following: that the yogurt maker. This was a brilliant public relations move on Chobani's <laughs> part, I must say. Um, the yogurt maker Chobani, which has been has a good history of being a, a, a do-gooder type of company, anyway. Um, they got national news coverage because they paid off a seventy-seven thousand dollar debt in the Warwick School District for unpaid lunch money. So, Margaret, what happened here? Why was there $77,000 in arrears uh, in a, you know, probably not very expensive food program? Like, yeah. Isn't school lunch about $1.60 or something? Um, a little bit higher than that. Um, but something I want to first point out is... Um, so that district, has, made, as you said, has made a lot of uh, recent national news. Um, it's not the only one. Um, actually, this has been um, a hot topic among school districts for the last couple of years. Oh, no kidding. So the kind of the media coverage, um, somehow one particular school district gets a lot of attention in the media. It dies down. Months later, another one comes into play. So, um, so while right now we're talking, you know, people are hearing about it, this is one of many that for the last um, uh, few school few years that has been um, in the media. Uh huh. <clears throat> for this yeah. same reason. Yes. So what happens is, is that kids who are this is not the kids who are low income kids who can't pay because they generally qualify for free or reduced lunch, right? So it, these are the sm- kids who can pay. So there is a sm- very small percentage of the f- what we call free kids. So first, let me clarify. Um, a child will fall into one of three categories for school lunch or school meals. Um, and so the, it'll, what we use is the term of free, reduced price, or full price, full uh-huh. paid. Um, and so free, and that is all determined by the family's um, income. So depending upon that will is where they will um, fall. So um, as the name implies, free lunch that kids, you know, they do not pay. Kids do not pay. The families do not pay. So they'll get um, free lunch. And if the school's offering uh, breakfast, they'll get free breakfast as well. Right. Um, the reduced kids, so it's a little bit higher income, but not um, as high as the full price. They're paying a reduced price than what, you know, the full price kids are paying. Same thing for breakfast as well. So for the school meals. So um, in terms of this unpaid meal um, debt, this is, there could be some kids that qualify for free meals, um, but because of a few different reasons, um, they might have an account balance that's in the negative. Um, however, this is more common among the reduced and the full pay price. Um, sure. So for, again, for another variety of reasons. Um, but I guess I should first clarify is like, well, how could, you know, how could a free, um, a kid that qualifies for free lunch um, how is their account, um, you know, in the negative? Yeah. Good question. So I'm glad you thought of that. <laughs> so, um, in that case, um, the child's family has pro- maybe not have applied, uh, filled out the application in the beginning of the school year. Right. I remember um, having to fill that out. Yep. yep. So that is what fully determines, you know, the, the price point for each of the families, but then also will make, will be part of the makeup for the whole school and the whole district when people talk about percentages. So, you know, um, high poverty, they're going to have, um, predominantly all free kids, um, well, not free kids, but yeah, you know what I mean? free lunch it's for free. most of the students. Yes. yes, got it. So, but in your cases where it's a lot more mixed within the school or mixed within the school district, um, you know that they're more than likely um, it's very common to not get all of your applications completed. You know, at a hundred percent. Right. Um, and so, because they don't have that documentation, they're not able to get reimbursed by federal and state government. So, therefore, that's how that particular account will get into the negative. 
I see. So it's not that the kids are not necessarily, well, it is that the kids are not necessarily paying, but there are a variety of reasons for yes. why they're not showing up with the cash. Yes. Right? Yes. And then I read something, um, I read a whole bunch of articles about this, and apparently there's like even a card where you can just kind of like charge things up to mom and dad if you, yeah. are, you know, if you have that and then you're one of those kids that are expected to pay something. Yes. Um, so there's there's that problem as well, right? Yes. And so I think um, for listeners, I'll, t- I'll kind of walk them through a cafeteria experience um, mm-hmm. because, you know, right. when we talk about pay, this isn't necessarily meaning, you know, mom or dad is giving their kids, um, you know, cash every day to, to pay. It's not like you had your 15 cents milk money like I had when I was going to school. Exactly. Like you literally did give 15 cents a day for milk money. Exactly. That exactly. doesn't happen anymore. No. So now it's all, um, or, you know, nearly all districts across the country are digital. So so, you know, as the child enters the cafeteria, you know, they'll have options of different lunch lines um, to go through. So um, usually there's at least two lunch lines in every cafeteria. Um, you know, one is that so they can get more kids through the lunch lines faster. Right. Um, and then also some of it is because they have more options for kids. So, you know, there might be a hot lunch o- option. There might be a cold sandwich option. So, again, to get kids through quicker, but also because some, you know, in some cafeterias, kids can have a lot of different choices for, um, you know, what lunch they would like that day. Uh-huh. So they'll go through the lunch line at the end. It's called a POS system. So, you know, point of sale. So usually what happens is they enter in their ID. So they punch it into a little keypad. Yeah. Um, and then they go on their way. And that is how the school and how within the school district, that's how they do their claims. So, you know, we served X amount of meals this day. So they report that back to the government. And that's how they're able to get back the appropriate amount of money. They get their reimbursements from yes. that and da- so, data. Yeah. Exactly. So um, when we talk about all these prices, we're talking about the reimbursable meal. Um, and reimbursable because, you know, the school district will get reimbursed. Um, and, of course, there's a whole bunch of nutrition standards, you know, in terms of what constitutes a reimbursable meal. Um, so, you know, kids have to take a certain amount of, um, of different food items. Um, so if you were to just go through the line and get a milk, that's not a reimbursable meal. Or just dessert. Exactly. Although you're not, you rarely see a dessert nowadays. Oh, is that right? Yes. Now, yeah. um. Jell-O is over. Oh, probably. If I, I haven't seen that in a while, maybe not. I don't want to, you know, I haven't been um, in, in all school districts, but um, another thing to keep in mind too is, so there's the reimbursable meal, but at lunchtime in all high schools um, and in some middle schools, um, they offer a la carte. So um, uh, in part of, you know, recent nutrition standards um, improvement, um, a la carte is the, the items that are within the um a la carte is what's called smart snacks. Um, and so it's a great name um, if, you know, just in terms of kind of naming a program. However, um, these are items that can't be sold in the in the, um, in the the lunch. And these are just additional side options for kids to be able to get more food. Now, none of that is reimbursed. Oh. So, so as they take, you know, the, it might be within the lunch line as they're going through, or it might be at a different area of the cafeteria to get, you know, so sometimes it might be in vending machines or it might be, you know, a little snack store or or something like huh. that. And so those are items um, with its separate, you know, nutrition standards from the school meal. Um, and the reason why I say it's a great name, but if you were to kind of look at some of the products, you would 
So, for example, whole grain pop tarts. You know, yeah, you wouldn't necessarily call that I a was, smart snack. I was not. <laughs> I, I wasn't thinking it was going to be like you know edamame beans or you know yeah. something like that. It no. could be though. It could it, be. I mean, it could be, but that's yeah. not. I mean, that's just not happening yes. now. Yeah. Uh, one hopes that it will eventually someday. Exactly. There's always room for improvement, and yeah. of course, it's it's not to say that all of the products are bad, mm-hmm. um, but those are also additional things that a student can purchase and would get to, um, charged to their account. And would that be something that a school district might make money on? Yes. Okay. So usually the reason, the number one reason why they will do a la carte is because they make more money from those products than they do from breakfast and lunch. Right. So Because those are reimbursed at the federal level. Yep. So let's talk about the federal level, actually. What, um, what, how much money does the USDA uh, allocate per, you know, I don't expect you to know exactly the, but I'm sure it varies state to state. Yes. um, Two to three dollars. Two to three dollars. Yes. And I remember like a while back when I was first started getting interested in school food, um, and my colleague Laura Stanley at Heritage Radio was doing a program called Inside School Food. And the reimbursement at that time was, I forget what it was, $2 and something, but only 92 cents of that was actually for food and the rest mm-hmm. of it was admin costs yep. and labor. And um, I'm just curious, when the Healthy Hunger Free Kids Act happened and they started changing some of those nutritional standards, did those did that uh, allocation change? No, unfortunately, it okay. would have been. Um, so that's another thing to point out um, in regards to the complexities of um, a school meals, mm-hmm. um, and also just how hard of a job it is for food service directors, cafeteria staff, um, you know, food service management companies. Um, they are dealing with very little money that has to stretch very, very far. Right. Um, so if you know you're already thinking you're going to get two to three dollars, somewhat, you know, of course, like you said, it varies by state. Um, you know, that already is a like, wow, like think of how many meals can you and I like immediately create off of that amount. But then (laughs) rice and beans. (laughs) And then to think that all in addition to food cost that has to pay for labor, that has to pay for administration, that's got to pay for overhead, you know, some, in some school districts, you know, that's paying for janitorial service as well too. So, um, it's got to stretch very far. Um, there are some states, very few, but might do give an um, additional reimbursement. So maybe like 10 cents per meal, for example. Um, and it's usually tied to, um, stronger nutrition standards, or maybe they might do if, um, they make, they purchase more local food, Uh um, which of course is more than likely going to be more expensive. Um, but it helps to kind of offset that. Um, so of course, school meal programs are, are nonprofits. They're not meant to be, you know, for profit. Um, and so, but to me, um, school programs that don't go into the negative is absolutely amazing. Um, you know, <laughs> oh God, because yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's definitely one of those, um, you know, fights that hopefully, you know, you have to, um, something you always have to work on, um, in terms of, you know, how can we get more, um, funding to, uh, for these programs. It, it is astonishing to me that the old white men in Congress uh, do not see the wisdom of providing nutritious meals for children. And the Republican position ever since Healthy Hunger Free Kids uh, was enacted uh, has been, oh, they don't eat it, they waste it, they're throwing it out, blah, blah, blah. But there was a recent study, um, and I can't remember, of course, who conducted this study because I'm, you know, borderline senile now. Um, 
But there was a study that showed that food waste, which of course we, we don't want in any case, but food waste before healthy, hunger-free kids and better nutrition standards was actually exactly the same as it is now. In other words, it's not like they're throwing out more apples. They're not throwing out more whole grains. Yep. They're, it's the same. It's a wash. Yep. So um, that's funny because that's one of my studies that I did oh. in my previous job. Yeah. Yeah. So I know a lot. Of, unfortunately, I know a lot about plate waste. <laughs> <laughs> I say unfortunately because it's not this, you know, glamorous, uh, you know, topic. Food waste is a very sexy topic. Okay. <laughs> True. Absolutely. True. But yes, that is something that is the anecdotal, um, you know, stories do not match what's really happening. Yeah. Um, and so food waste is not as large of a problem. I mean, of course, any food waste is bad. Sure. Um, but it people think that there's a lot more going into the garbage or a lo- and a lot more that's not getting eaten than what is real really is. Uh-huh. And of course, no, that's another something that's something else that we need to work on in terms of getting kids to consume, um, you know, more of what's on their tray. Yeah. Um, but yes, in terms of like the fight for stronger nutrition standards, the fight just to even keep the standards. Yeah. You know, um, is. You know, that is great data that we have now to show that, like, you know, we can refute that. Right. Thank God. I just, I really, I'm so done with the with the old white Republicans. I'm just, like, so over them. So I want to talk about CEP. Yes. Um, because in this Chobani, you know, mm-hmm. kerfuffle in which, you know, the, the school district uh, ran into the red, and there was a lot of sort of throwing around of various acronyms, um, and CEP was one that I saw a lot. Yeah. So what is that? What is that kind of funding? So CEP stands for Community Eligibility Provision. Mm-hmm. So um, what this program does is for school districts that um, reach a certain threshold of, you know, of free kids, um, then they automatically, you know, of course they have to apply for CEP, but if they have that, if they're able to show that they have that um, threshold, um, I want to say it's 70%, but I could be wrong because I'm, I'm, uh, my, my memory's a little fuzzy on the numbers, but anyway, but it's a certain threshold. If the school district meets that, then the, then they can be CEP, meaning that all kids, um, it's a hundred percent free. Uh-huh. So no, there's no redu- reduced price. There's no, um, full paid. Right. So that is one of the solutions in terms of when we talk about unpaid meal ba- balances, you know, um, that's one of the solutions for future is in terms of, there are a lot of school districts out there across the country that do qualify for CEP, but they have not implemented it for a variety of reasons. Uh-huh. Um, one of the nuances to CEP, um, and of course it's great for, um, you know, in terms of prevention for unpaid meal balances, but it has uh, so many other benefits. Um, one being that parents wouldn't have to fill out household, those applications every right. year. So less paperwork for parents, but also less paperwork for, um, those for the school district. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, but also something to kind of keep in mind is within a school district, especially school districts that have a lot of schools, you know, so like 40, for example. Uh-huh. Um, so each, you know, and of course at each of those schools, it's a different makeup of students. Right. Um, and so, so some of your dis- some of those schools you're, are going to vary by students who qualify for free, reduced, and full. So sometimes you can have within a school district certain schools that qualify for CEP, but some schools that are you know not they're close but not enough. Right. So in that case, the whole district can't have CEP, but those particular school buildings could. I see. Huh. It yeah. sounds complicated, incredibly complicated. Yeah. Um. So just out of curiosity how how many kids like in a say an average school of i don't know what's an average size 500 that's an easy number but yeah okay <laughs> what's the percentage of kids who are actually taking part in school lunch because in my when my daughter was growing up she literally would not touch it from kindergarten on she yeah. never 
ate, participated in school lunch. And I know that there's some people say there's a stigma involved in being one of the kids that maybe there's a social aspect to it. But the reality for her was that she just thought the food was disgusting and she wouldn't eat it. Yeah. Um, so she brown bagged all the way through. So and I think there's probably enough kids who do that. Yep. What what is you know first of all what are how many kids are participating? Is there a stigma associated with consuming school lunch? And lastly, uh, if enough kids opt out, what is the impact on the school program? Yeah, yeah, great questions. So um, in terms of what we would call as participation rates, so that, of course, like all things, will, again, vary by schools um, and, of course, vary by school districts. So when you think of your school districts that are um, have a higher percentage of free students, um, those are everyone gets free breakfast, everyone gets free lunch. Um, so the stigma is gone because everyone's the same. Everyone is treated the same. Right. Um, so, which is fabulous. And also it's, um, your participation rates are going to be high because of that. So So, then you get a big reimbursement at the end of the year. Exactly. So the more kids you have participating, you know, the more kids that are buying the meals, the greater, um, the greater it is because you, you know, more money. So you have more money to do more things with. Um, now when you get into, um, schools with, uh, you know, a mixed percentage of free, um, reduced price or even reduced in full price, um, now you're moving into, of course, you know, all students are customers, right? But now your custom, you, now you have a different type of customer. So these are kids that, like you said, you know, they might be brown bagging it, you know, for a variety of reasons. So um, your participation rates are going to be dropping down. So those are, you know, the role of a food service director in those types of schools is you're you are working a lot harder to get your participation rates up, you know, for your different programs. Right. So, you know, one, sometimes it's just more of the culture of like, of, you know, mom or dad in the morning is packing the lunch and that that's just how it is. You know, um, it's just more common. It's, you know, it's kind of the culture. Um, sometimes they might participate on some days and other days they don't. So, you know, right. you have mixed in terms of I was of always like, trying to get her to do it. So I didn't <laughs> have to pack the damn lunch. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Think of something every day. I yeah. mean, and it was expensive. Yes. And, and another thing, too, to keep in mind is, um, you know, again, just speaking from like um, a, a research perspective is that we know that the school lunch is healthier than packed um, than, you know, brown bagging. So, that, of right. course, that doesn't mean um, that every parent out there is, that does do a brown bag is packing an unhealthy lunch. Um, but that's also more of why we try to drive kids um, and parents to participate in those programs. Yeah, so. because there's a whole in the grocery aisle, there's an entire aisle or you know section of the refrigerated case of very unhealthy products yep. lunchables with like processed meats and cheeses there's yes. like it's fatty it's too much salt i mean i look at that stuff i didn't pack that for delilah she, yep. didn't, she wouldn't eat that either yes um but uh, it's a challenge to pack a lunch which i get yep. and it's a challenge to make something that isn't already made for you it's very tempting to want to use that yeah so yeah i can see how what kids are bringing in of their own there's like mom's throwing in a bag of chips a couple of lunchables a cookie and bob's your uncle you know exactly or you can also pack that lunch but they're also they're buying items so maybe they're buying just milk or they're buying stuff from smart snacks that's getting charged the account so you know they're even mixed in terms of like Mm. you know every day i bring my brown bag but i might be buying an item or two you know from the um from schools so Yeah, right. Okay, let's take a break here. (music) 
This episode is brought to you by Escape Maker's first-of-its-kind virtual agritourism conference. Did you know that every $1 invested in tourism marketing returns on average $3 to $8 back? Not a bad ROI. Learn how to grow your agritourism business via 12 workshops entirely women-led. The local travel landscape is rapidly changing to meet the demands of the leisure, event, and corporate travel sectors. Whether you're a farmer or producer, a winemaker, a restaurateur, or a destination marketing organization, there's more opportunity than ever to capture these markets. The Virtual Agritourism Conference will provide you with insights and skills to keep your target demographic coming back for more. 14 speakers providing six plus hours of education that you can watch at your convenience anytime on any device. Maximize your time, budget, and resources, and focus on creative solutions to help your business thrive. Presented by Escape Maker and Fulton Stall Market, the full conference access pass is now available for purchase. Use the code HERITAGE2019 for $50 off a full pass at checkout. For more information and to purchase your pass, go to escapemaker.biz. That's escapemaker.biz. I hope you're enjoying this podcast. And you know, Heritage Radio Network has thousands more. Hi, my name is Linda Palaccio, and I'm the host on A Taste of the Past here on HRN. Join us on a weekly journey through culinary history, where we explore the when, where, what, and why of food throughout history. You can find A Taste of the Past wherever you listen to podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org. And we're back. This is Margaret Reed, uh, a food policy consultant who's talking to me about school food today. This is What Doesn't Kill You, Food Industry Insights, which you already know because you're listening to a podcast uh, after the fact. But anyway, uh, I just thought I would remind you of that. Um, so, Margaret, we were talking about uh, participation um, and the fact that the kids who opt out, that has a negative impact on, um, on the uh, reimbursement for the school lunch program. And then it made me think when we were talking earlier about like better nutritional standards and stuff like that, um, that there doesn't seem to be an incentive program for schools to ramp up. Like, like if the government decided that they wanted to see better school lunches, imagine that. Yeah. Okay. Imagine (laughs) if we had that, um, would it, wouldn't it make sense? I mean, it seems to me that you could probably make that stretch that dollar further if you had more participation and still provide better quality food, including sourcing from local purveyors. And I'm wondering why there can't be uh, some kind of an incentive program. This is just I'm just making this up, but an incentive yeah. program for schools to participate in uh, should they have the infrastructure, should they have the local availability, you know, the whole, there's a whole raft of things that have yeah. to be in place to make that work. But yeah. um, would that be legislation? Would that be like a local school board would make that decision? I mean, how, how, if a parent uh, organization wanted to get their school to have better food, like what are their options? Yeah. I mean, there is, um, of course, I mean, the very hardest battle would be trying to get the federal government to provide more funding. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's your hardest one. Um, now states can, you know, um, or school districts with, you know, can work for their state to try to find some, um, you know, more funding. So like I said earlier, um, you know, instead of different types of programs, so, you know, you get extra cents per meal for the local food or, or if you're offering even healthier standards, um, of course, find, you know, 
trying to create that type of legislation, you know, you'd have to find the money and where that money would come from. Right. Um, but yes, that would be through legislation. Um, cause it's also, I mean, because it'll be sustainable versus just trying to, you know, get donations or fundraising. I mean, like, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. Pish tush. Exactly. That ain't never going to happen. Yeah. So these are, um, with these school meals programs, your solutions are always through policy. Yeah. Right. And, and, and you mentioned that some uh, states are able or districts are able to offer a free lunch to all. So how is that possible if it's, I mean, given what we've just been discussing, how, how, how can any school district have enough money to be able to do that? Um, well, I mean, because, you know, they're getting reimbursed because they have a hundred percent participation rate. Very in close to hundred. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No one ever has a hundred percent just because, you know, Attendance is not a hundred percent, you know, gotcha. and whatnot. Right, right. But, um, but you know, you always, uh, you're in those types of um, school districts. You're going to be very close to a hundred percent. Uh huh. And that's really yeah. the only way you can move the needle is to really. So that's where being yeah. a food po- a food director in a school program is requires an unbelievable amount of ingenuity. Yes. And imagination. Yep. To get those numbers. To up. get the numbers up, and then yep, be able then, to sort of and then keep the piggyback, numbers up. Yep. Piggyback better food onto that. Yes. Oh my God! I'm so glad I don't work in that yeah, field. Yeah, it's um, they they have thankless jobs. <laughs> yeah, really. I mean, and they play a huge part in the lives of our kids and you know future generations. So I mean, it's um, certainly a job I would never want, but some a job that I highly respect, and we don't thank yeah. them enough for the work that they I do. I couldn't agree with you more. Well, I mean, yeah. I think schools, uh, teachers, people who work in the school system overall are grossly uh, underappreciated on a national level. Yeah. Um, but. That being said, I think we all we all know that. Now, when you describe that sort of the tiers of funding, determining the federal contributions, and then how they bill the parents, and all of these complicated systems that are in play, yeah, what does that cost? Because it seems to me that if you eliminated all of these administrative yeah. tasks involved in tracking who gets what and how much they pay and the smart snack, yeah. pro, you know, and yeah. like dividing all that up. Like, yeah. Isn't that really, really expensive to yes. do that? And, um, and talk takes a lot of time as yeah. well too. Yeah. And, takes and it's inefficient of, and takes a lot of technology as well too, you know? Um, yeah. so yeah, I mean, um, Free lunch for all is, you know, there's there's um, people out there that have that vision um, and are fighting strong for it, um, like Alice Waters, for example. That's sure. one of her dreams. Um, or Ann Cooper, yep. Chef Ann. That's yep. a big, big exactly push for her from her. Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, I'm totally on board with that vision. Um, I know that that would, you know, maybe <laughs> in my lifetime, you know, I might see it. Um, but I mean, that's that's another example of that would be a benefit for it. You know, that it, the administrative cost would go down because, yes. you know, that's less paperwork. That's less calculations you have to do. That's less right. like money chasing you're having to do. Um, but yeah. yeah, I mean, back when we were saying how much, you know, those dollars have to stretch, paying for those, paying for the software and the POS system, like all of that, that's, you know, that's part of how that all gets paid for. Yeah. Very interesting. You know, it also makes me think of, um, my daughter attended UMass in Amherst for several years and, uh, the food director there is a wonderful man named Ken Toon. And Ken has kind of revolutionized college dining. You've probably heard about him. Yeah. Um, and he's done a number of things that have, you know, had an impact on food waste, which is to not allow kids, they don't give trays, for example. Yeah. So children can only take a dish as they want 
there's no there's no loading up your tray with like ten things and yeah. then a bite of each and yes. That, so that was such a simple fix yes. for yeah. that. Um, but it also and I you know to I mean I, I could talk on endlessly about Ken's uh, work, but the thing that really made makes it interesting to me and which I wonder could be translated into school districts is to kind of I mean that program his dining program is so popular it's a tremendous selling point to students and parents um and one reason why I thought it was great is that it exposes kids who might not otherwise have had experience of nice food Mm -hmm. which is often very true you know if you have two fam two parents working and yeah you're probably eating a lot of prepared foods fast food stuff like that so this is this was a way to introduce children to healthy nutritious attractive and interesting foods yeah and you pay through the nose for this program, I will say that. Yeah. Um, but I thought, you know, it was such a smart investment in education of both palates and also a sense of what is nutritious. What mm-hmm. is nutrition all about? How do I care for myself? And college is meant to prepare you for living on your own. Yeah. Um, and that is one thing. Like, I, even though I'm a cook, so my daughter grew up with great food. Yeah. Um, but that has informed her experience at college. Informed the way she eats now. Yeah. Uh, as a young adult, and she actually eats way better than I do. I mean, she's much more health conscious than I am. Yeah. Um, she's doesn't cook all that much, but she eats a ton of vegetables and grains and not that very much. I mean, like she really yes. she absorbed the lessons from this program. So this is a long winded way of asking you. Whether school districts could employ a, almost a similar sort of philosophy towards their lunch program yep. that would draw people to that particular school or yep. that district. Yes. And I'm wondering if that's an experience that you are seeing out in the field. There's a few um, that, you know, a few school districts, I can't think of um, which cities off the top of my head, but that have stel- that have totally revolutionized. Well, like Denver with Chef Ann. Exactly. Is one of them. Yeah. Exactly. That have totally revolutionized um, the quality of the food and the meals, but also the culture within the cafeteria as well, too. So, um, you know, the cafeteria should be a place that it's inviting, that is a place where you want to go and have and eat. Um, and so, you know, there's a lot of people that like try to envision the cafeterias, you know, something like learning labs, you know, right. so it's not just about eating. This is where they're learning about nutrition. This is where they're learning what, what constitutes a meal. This is where they're getting exposed to, to different types of foods and, you know, nutrition education and, and all of those types of things. So that is a, um, is something that, you know, the cafeteria and the school meals program should be striving to become for sure. But isn't one of the biggest uh, drawbacks to that idea? And I, I, you know, I'm not trying to catch you up, but but like when Delilah was in school, I'm sorry to keep referring to my own child, but that's my experience (laughs) of public school system. (laughs) Yeah. When she was in kindergarten and first grade, she ate lunch at like 1045. Yeah. And of course you don't want to eat lunch at 1045. You know, it's like nobody's ready for lunch at 1045. And that, that's, that was one issue that I heard and that I've read about in terms of like trying to improve participation and so forth and eliminate food waste. But the other thing is there's so little time for them to eat. Yes. It's like 20 minutes? What's yes. the average lunch break, do you so think? So it should be at least 20 minutes of, you know, seat time. So sitting down and being able to um, in, to eat their meal. That's, of, of course, not the reality of the situation um, because, you know, this is, um, you know, 
not just school meals, but all subjects are trying to, you know, you're trying to cram in as much as possible within the school day. Yeah. And, um, and unfortunately, you know, not that much time is allotted for breakfast and for lunch. And, you know, in some countries they offer a whole hour, which is awesome, you know, but, um, but, you know, that is a shorter meal time. Plus if you're in a very chaotic environment, um, and of course too, like some meals require, take more time to eat, you know, peeling an orange, you know, sure. um, and of course, you know, thinking of younger kids compared to high school students, you know, things like that. Um, but also, you know, if we, we give them more time to eat, you know, one, it'll, it could also make it less chaotic. It could be a more enjoyable place, but of course, yeah they'll have more time to eat um, so that there will be less food waste and they are consuming more. Yeah. Um, and then of course there, you know, another issue is some, sometimes there is very early um, lunch meal times. So like you said, 1045, you know, that's not a typical time that we consider it would be lunch, you know, <laughs> definitely not. <laughs> um, and so I sympathize with, you know, those, you know, the people who are trying to schedule the full day and making sure they're, they're getting all those students. But I do say, um, I do give the caveat that maybe 1045, you know, this is of course not common, but 1045 may not necessarily be a bad time because we have to look at the full picture. Um, so you got to look at, well, when, what time did they have breakfast? You know, did they have breakfast at 7 a.m.? So right. 1045, you know. Four hours later. Exactly. ready to eat. Exactly. And if your school is getting out at 2, you know, your snack is after, you know, that sort of thing. So you really, what you have to do is you have to look at what time do they wake up, get on the bus? How long are they on the bus? Are they on the bus for a whole hour, you know, getting to school? Um, what time does the school start? Then, then, you know, um, sometimes there's snack between breakfast and lunch, you mm-hmm. know. So these are types of things that you have to consider with time, but you also have to consider, too, with consumption, you know, as well, too, of, like, looking at the bigger picture. Right, right. Now, <clears throat> I'm just going to keep you for a few more minutes um, because I think we're, we're kind of running out of time here, and I'm also worried that my battery's going to die. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that would not be good. That would not be cool. <laughs> um, uh, what was the question I was going to ask you? I, well... What are there any schools? I mean, we talked about Chef Ann and Denver. I mean, but is there is there a blueprint that you could point to that would like be kind of like the fix or a fix, one of several fixes? Yeah, yeah. There's certainly not exactly a one size fits all. Um, you know, I first and foremost the biggest solution is more funding, you know, yeah. for, for people to, um, have to, to buy better quality foods, you know, to, to pay their staff more, that sort of thing. So funding would help solve a lot of different things. Right. Um, but there's no one size, like the, that blueprint, it all kind of varies because, you know, it's the diversity makeup of the student population, you know, it is, what does that, you know, particular, um, community care more about, you know, some are more concerned about local versus others are not. Sure. So, you know, they're going to work on getting, um, increasing their procurement um, of local products before something else. So um, it, so that's kind of why, you know, they, you know, each school district works on different things because of, you know, community needs. Sure. That, I understand that. Why, I, this would be my last question. Why do you think that the taxpayer uh, and, um, why do you think that school meals are so low on the priority list for most of the population? I mean, let's yeah. face it. Like people think, you know, if they think about school food at all, it's like, oh, it's so gross. I remember yep. when I was a kid, it was elephant ears and, you yep. know, shit on a shingle and blah, 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 you know. Yes. And, 
but there's no sense of like, oh, well, you know, like we should really change that because yes. it sucks. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. Why, why are we so apathetic about this? Well, one, I think there is just the, the history of the program. Um, I think it's also just the history of institutional food. That doesn't sound exciting. Then I think there's also the like people don't realize there are some great programs out there. There mm. are some awesome sure. districts. There's some awesome food service directors. So when we talk, you know, when you get the normal reaction of, ooh, gross. You know, that's not across the board, you know, and we don't talk enough about those stellar school districts or we don't talk about, you know, particular like, oh, I love this meal that they do. You know, that's not hyped up enough, um, unfortunately. So. um, So, yeah, that I think um, that is definitely something we need to be talking more about instead of, you know, ooh, gross, gross, gross. Tell me something that's great, you know, Yeah. Um, because that's also something or even just when people say, oh, gross, it's amazing when I've heard teachers complain uh, or, you know, administration. And then I say, you know, that's disgusting. And I'm like, well, have you tried it? No, I haven't. You know, so like those are. So even the people (laughs) who work in the school system. Yeah. Are not really thinking of this as a problem that they can solve. Yeah. I mean, well, how often do your superintendents, your principals, your teachers, how often are they buying the meal right. for themselves and even just having the meal, you know, sitting at the table and eating with students, right. you know? Right. So not so often. Yeah. I just, I feel like this is an area where, uh, we could do, if we could focus on this collectively as a society, yeah. uh, the way they have in other countries. Yep. Um, you know, we could probably improve. I mean, I'm not saying we got to be serving these kids gourmet meals. Yes. You know, nobody's yes. going over the, off the deep end with yeah. this, you know. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it starts also, too, because, I mean, we don't prioritize education. Yes. So if we're not prioritizing education and school meals is a part of that day, you know, yeah. it's... it's I And mean, a critical part of that day, because as study after study has shown, yep. don't learn if you're hungry. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah, food and education, food and health, it's so intertwined yeah. um, that... You know, when we're, you know, when we focus on school meals, we'll actually be working on other issues as well, too. Right, right. Well, Margaret, thank you so much. This has been a wonderful discussion. I think we're going to have to do it again. <laughs> well, I'd be happy to come back. And thank you <laughs> I really so much it. for that. You're very yes. welcome. Thanks to my sponsor and to Matt. And see you next week with another show. Thanks for listening, folks. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebrations happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.